Hey, this is Steve with Life Worth Living. You know what? Whenever I live a life as a victim, I'm only going to complain and suffer unnecessarily because I feel powerless to change my situation. You know, by definition, a victim is a doubter. Someone who doubts society, doubts government, doubts everything, but worst of all, doubts God. And second to worst of all, they doubt themselves. Did you know that beyond trusting God, if you want to stop being a victim, you can start trusting yourself as well. You can trust God and yourself. And this, of course, only if you've opened your heart, your life, and said to Jesus, hey, come into my life. Take over my life. Save me from who I am. Save me from my old self. Well, when he comes into your life, he gives you a new identity. And in this new self, you can begin to trust yourself like never before. It's a pretty bad feeling to not be able to trust yourself. But when you began this new life, you are no longer a victim. In fact, you are not a victim through Christ Jesus. So we're going to look at two women in the Bible. Uh, One allowed herself to be a victim, but one refused to be a victim. And therefore, she was a winner. And she was a victor instead of a victim. So listen in and begin to identify and think about the areas of your life where you live as a victim. Two weeks on doubt. In the next two weeks, a little offshoot of doubt. And that is being a victim. Doubters are victims. Doubters are victims. And we're going to, for two weeks, we're going to look at comparing and contrasting Ruth and Naomi of a, of a victim and a victor or an overcomer. And I don't know about you, I don't want to be a victim anymore. If you stop and think about it long enough, we uh, allow ourselves to be victimized by the enemy. We allow ourselves to be victimized by circumstances. We allow ourselves to be victimized by our past, by things that have been done to us. And you need to start saying, I need to start saying, enough's enough. I'm not going to be a victim anymore. I'm going to be set free. Beyond that, uh, so it's actually three weeks, because it's this Sunday, next Sunday, and then the following Sunday is Palm Sunday. We're going to have a little just study on on uh, some things prior to Jesus' death. Randy Ruiz, and then after that, we start with the book of Isaiah. Super excited about that study in Isaiah. Oh, my goodness, it's rich. I'm I'm in it right now. Um, for personal reasons, <laughs> but also in preparation. And we're, we're going to have a delightful time for several weeks, months probably, going through the book of Isaiah, probably taking some rabbit holes here and there throughout that, that time as well. But today, you are not a victim. If you're a Christian, if you have Jesus living in your heart, if you have the Holy Spirit in your life, you're not a victim. And you need to start living that way. Start living as a victor. So we're going to be looking at the story of Ruth. But before we do, let me share with you a couple of thoughts about being a victim, about not being a victim. The first one is this. By definition, a victim is a doubter. By by definition, a victim is a doubter. They doubt God and they tend to doubt themselves. Have you ever doubted yourself before? We do it all the time. We do it all the time. And as a Christian, you shouldn't doubt yourself anymore. You're a child of God. You've been redeemed by the Lord. You have Jesus himself living in your life. There is no reason for you to doubt yourself anymore. And when you get, that's called confidence, by the way, God confidence. Not so We don't want self-confidence. We want God confidence. When you have God confidence, your life turns around. You start making decisions and sticking by them. You don't second guess yourself anymore. You don't look back anymore. You don't question yourself anymore. And if you make a mistake, you say, well, the grace of God, the mercy of God has covered me, so I'm okay. Amen? That's what a person looks like that doesn't doubt themselves. So beyond trusting God, you need to start trusting yourself. Trust yourself to make the right decisions. The Bible says that the steps of a good man, the steps of a good woman are ordered of the Lord. So that means as you're taking your daily steps, believe it or not, God is directing your steps. 
You lift your foot, God is going to take your foot and put it right where it needs to go. You just need to start lifting your foot and start moving in the direction that you think God is leading you in. And don't you think God is powerful enough to redirect you if you're going the wrong direction? Absolutely. If your heart is open to him, he's not going to let you make too many bad mistakes. He's just not going to let it happen. You have a new identity, and so you can finally trust Jesus inside of you. Don't trust the old self. I realize, hey, if you're living in a worldly way, in a sinful way, don't trust yourself there. <laughs> the Bible says your, your heart is deceitful. Above all things, your heart is deceitful. That's the old self. But when God gives you a new heart, a heart of flesh, you can begin to trust yourself. Praise God. All right, that's why in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, it says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, are you in Christ? If you've asked Jesus in your heart, you're in him. He's not only in you, you're in him. You are a new creation. The new creation has come. The old is gone, and the new is here. Trust the new creation that God has created you to be, a man or woman, powerful man or woman of God. Go forth. Go, go in strength. Go in assurance that you're going in the right direction because God is leading you. Praise God. So trust yourself to hear from God. Trust yourself to follow God. Trust yourself to make wise decisions. Trust yourself to walk in freedom. Trust yourself to be strong in Jesus today. Does that make sense? Praise God. Well, because as a wisdom, as a wisdom, as a victim, we doubt. What does a doubter do? What does a victim do? They're powerless. They, they don't have any, any confidence in themselves, as we've mentioned, and they're in a position of subjection. You're basically on your knees as a victim, subject to whatever you've allowed yourself to be a victim to. You're powerless. Doubters are powerless. They're inert. We talked about this last week. A, a doubter can't move forward because they're always doubting and questioning. Should I? Should I not? What if I make the wrong decision? Stop being paralyzed and start moving forward in Jesus. Trust him to, to lead you. All right. What I've found also is that when I live as a victim, because I do it, we all do, I start complaining a lot. You start complaining a lot. I can't do it. Like I used to tell myself that all the time. I can't do it. It's too hard. I can't make it. Why did that happen? It happened this week, actually. I did it. I played a victim this, this week. Something happened. It just ticked me off. I was like, why? Why should that be that way? Why should? That's the dumbest thing I've heard of. You know what? As soon as I started complaining, I was stopped dead in my tracks. Don't worry. It's just the wind. Nobody's coming in. All right. I was stopped dead in my tracks. And I couldn't move forward until I stopped complaining, stopped being a victim, and started coming up with a solution. See, complainers don't come up with solutions. They're just stopped, dead in their tracks. And so uh, when I live as a victim, I, I complain a lot. You know what? I suffer a lot as well. Someone, we're going to talk more about this next week. Someone who's a victim lives in perpetual suffering. And I'm not talking about physical suffering. I'm talking about inner suffering, the kind of suffering God doesn't want you to have. See, a lot of folks misinterpret the Bible and they just say, well, Jesus said you're going to suffer. Yeah, you're going to suffer on the external, but inside you're going to be rejoicing every day of your life. You don't need to perpetually suffer. I want you to think, now don't name any names here. This is just between you and your own self, all right? But think of someone who's always suffering right now. Don't say the name out loud, all right? Think of someone you know that's always suffering, all right? You don't need to be that way. God doesn't want you to be that way. You don't have to be a suffering Christian. Praise God, all right? You're going to have temptations. You're going to have tribulations. You're going to have trials. I'm not saying you're going to have a perfect life, but inside it can be sunny all day long. That's how God wants you to be. But let me tell you, a victim isn't that way. They're suffering on the inside all the time. We're going to talk more about that next Sunday. You're, you're going to like it. It's, it's blessed me and opened my eyes. Hey, I don't have to be miserable anymore. I don't have to be miserable anymore. I might have hard times, but I can be rejoicing through those hard times. 
All right, so listen to this. You're not a victim to the sickness that you have. If you have diabetes, you have some incurable disease, you have an injury that you suffer from, maybe even your lifestyle that you used to have has caused you to be sick now because of decisions that you made, all right, you're not a victim to that anymore. You're not a victim to it. You're not a victim to poverty. If you're lacking in finances right now, you're not a victim to that. Don't, don't kneel down and cower to your, to your lack of resources. You're not a victim to poverty. You're not a victim to a broken marriage. You're not a victim to unbridled thoughts. Have you ever had your, wish you could just turn your brain off and stop thinking? You're not a victim to that. You're not a victim to insomnia. You're not a victim to depression. You're not, you're not a victim to some change. If you're going through change right now, it's kind of chaotic. And you don't know, this is kind of something that's happening to me a little bit. I'm going through a little bit of change. I'm not a victim to the change that I'm going through or to the uncertainty or the lack of clarity that I, that I might have. I'm not a victim to a crisis in my sexual identity, praise God. I'm not a victim to that. I might have feelings that I wish I didn't have that feeling, but you know what? I'm not a victim to it, praise God. I'm not a victim to mental illness, and I'm not a victim to a loved one who's going through an addiction right now either. I'm not a victim to their problems. Isn't that empowering? Well, that's, that's godly. That's something we're going to study. You're going to see from Ruth that what I'm telling you is the truth. Wow, that rhymed. That's pretty neat. You're not a victim through Christ Jesus. You're not a victim. God has placed you in a position of control and authority, and now it's time for you to exercise that and stop waiting around and hoping that maybe something happens. God has placed you in authority to get down on your knees and begin to pray these things out of your way. Amen? You can pray powerfully and authoritatively when you're not a victim. All right. Often we confuse worry with prayer. Oh, I just prayed for 30 minutes. No, you didn't. You just worried for 30 minutes. That wasn't prayer. All right. It's time for us to begin to exercise the authority, the control that God has put us back into our hands. And you know what that's called? Self-control. God has not given you a spirit of timidity, but of power, of love, and of self-control. You're not a victim anymore. Stand up, man of God. Stand up, woman of God, and start living the way God expects you to live in power and in authority. God has given you back your life, <laughs> and that's a good feeling. He's given you back your life. Well, one of my kids, I won't tell you which one it was. You'll gather that it was a male here in just a second, though. Four kids, all right, so I won't tell you which of the four, but he's about five years old. And we were in, in a gymnasium, a church gymnasium, and there was this little pipsqueak bully that would just pester my child. Just, ooh, wanted to take this kid and do something to him. But pipsqueak bully. And so I'm talking to some guys, and I hear this grunting and groaning behind me, and there's people all in the gym. But I look back, and there's, there's one of my children on the floor with this bully that's about half his size pinning him down. And I look at my kid, and he's got his arms out, and he's looking at me like, do something. And what, what I did is I just went like that, just, come on, man. <laughs> like, gave him the eyes, like, throw this kid off of you. And I looked at my, my child's face. His face turned like, oh, I don't have to be a victim anymore. He sat up with one, just one little sit-up. The kid went flying off of him. And my son got back up, and he wasn't, you know, he was in charge again. You know what? The enemy puts these little things on you, and you can put up with it the rest of your life, or you can throw the thing off of you and say, you know what? I'm not going to put up with it anymore. I am not. I'm not a victim. Listen to this. Oh, this is so inspiring. This is my, from my journal. As I'm, how many of you journal when you read the Bible? I encourage you. As important, well, not as important, but very close second to reading your Bible, you should have a journal and write your thoughts down as God. If God tells you something, isn't it important enough for you to write it down? 
Yes, absolutely. Take a journal. So here I'm journaling as I'm thinking about these thoughts, as I'm reading the story of Ruth. And here, check this out. Instead of the hunted, I'm the hunter. Amen. I'm going to don't you, you could take this out of context and do a sound bite. Say, oh, he's what is he talking about? But listen, just hear me out. Hear the whole thing. Instead of the assaulted, I'm the assailant. All right. Instead of being stalked, I'm the stalker. Now, let me let me give you some examples so that you know what I'm talking about. I you are no longer being assailed by sickness. You are assailing your sickness. You are assailing your poverty. You are assailing your obsessive thoughts. You're no longer the person who's being assailed. You're the assailant. You are hunting down your worries, those undeniable feelings inside of you of your sexual identity. You are hunting those things down. They're not hunting you any longer. You're not a victim. You're the victor. You are stalking those addictions that are destroying your child or your grandchildren. You're stalking them through prayer. And you're coming against them in the name of Jesus. And let me tell you what, the devil is scared of you. And you need to start realizing it. Evil is scared of you. I wish I could remember something Sarah said. I'm going to quote, she quoted somebody, but essentially the devil is scared of your faith. He's frightened of your faith. Is that what it was? The enemy is frightened of your faith. That's why he attacks your faith all the time. Because he knows the minute that you start operating in faith, his, his victory is over. He's been defeated. What has overcome the world? Even your faith. That's what Jesus said. Even your faith. So listen to this. And this is another cool thought as I was just contemplating this several weeks ago. But in Romans 8, it speaks of the law of sin and death. The law of sin and death. The United States, we have laws. We have local ordinances that we have to follow. Uh you know, if I speed, I'm probably going to get a ticket. There's laws that we have in this in the United States. Well, there's a set of spiritual laws, the law of sin and death, the law of sin and evil. All right. And under that law, you know what? I'm a criminal. You're a criminal. You're no longer a victim of the law of sin and death or the law of sin and evil. You're a criminal to that law. You're going to break that law all day long, every day of the week, hopefully hour by hour. That law would try to pin you down as a victim and condemn you for what you've done wrong and your failures, your shortcomings. I want you to think right now, just to get you down a little bit, think of a failure or shortcoming that, you've, that you regret in your life. And just for 30, just for 15 seconds, and then let's put it off the shelf because I don't want to bring you down. But think of a regret. You know what? The law of sin and death wants to condemn you for that. You need to become a criminal to the law of sin and evil and say, no, 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 no. I'm breaking that law. I'm not coming into subjection to those thoughts anymore. I'm going to break that law of sin and evil. Amen. Become a criminal to the dominion of darkness and saying, I'm not coming under your subjection anymore. I'm going to break this law because Jesus broke that law. He broke the requirements of that law. Isn't that exciting? So I'm proudly a criminal to the dominion of sin and evil, and you should be too. Don't don't try to compromise with that law. It'll never work. So here's an example before we start talking about Ruth. See, it was kind of a long introduction, but here's an example of a victim's mentality, just to put it into perspective. And it was this man named Jacob back in Genesis, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, all right, the son of Isaac. Uh, Jacob was the father of Joseph. Remember Joseph? Remember he had 12 sons and uh, Joseph was sold by his brothers into slavery and went to Egypt. That's the Jacob we're talking about. Listen to Jacob's mentality. Now, before I mention this, Jacob was already an older man. Whatever you are in life or whoever you are in life, whenever you become elderly, I've found you're going to become umpteen times what you were before. So if you were a super nice person, Jesus changed your life and you become a really nice person as an elderly person, you're going to become an ultra nice person. If, if you're a bitter, bitter throughout your life and really ambitious and trying to get your way, when you get older, you're going to be ultra selfish, ultra bitter. 
all right? Whatever someone is that you see them right now, they've been that way a long, long time. (laughs) It's a way of assessing people. Let me tell you what. Well, Jacob, all his life, if you look at him, had been really uh, self-serving. He'd always tried to do things for himself, get his own way. He was a deceiver, all right? And look at how it left him as an old man. In Genesis 42, 36, it says, uh, Jacob said to them, his sons, you have deprived me of my children. (laughs) And I'm not going to get into the whole story here. I just want you to see the attitudes that pop out of this. You have deprived me of my children. Joseph is no more. Actually, Joseph was. He was going to be, he was in Egypt. He was already the prime minister of Egypt. Joseph is no more. Simeon is no more. That was another one of his boys. And now you want to take Benjamin, a third boy. Everything is against me. That is a victim's mentality right there. And let's break it down. Let's let's read through this. First of all, Jacob says, you have deprived me. A victim lives deprived, feeling deprived all the time. I don't have this. I don't have that. This didn't work out for me. I, uh, why is everybody else ahead of me and I'm always behind? That's a victim's mentality. Instead of that mentality, we should be saying, I am blessed. I'm not deprived. I am blessed. I am blessed. I may not have this one thing, but I do have these 99 other things. All right. I may not have a job, but I have all my facilities. My arms work, my legs work, my brain works, my eyes work, my ears work. Praise God for what I have. I'm not deprived. I'm blessed. You see what a victim does? They always look at the negative instead of the positive. God is a very positive God. It's a very positive. That's what faith is. It's positivity in God. It's trusting the Lord is saying, you know what, tomorrow is going to be a better day than today. But look at what else old Jacob said. You know, praise God. God was still faithful to Jacob, even though he was kind of a victim here. Um, you know what? It's Here Jacob is talking about me, me, me. <laughs> That's what a victim does. They focus on themselves exclusively, not always necessarily in a selfish way, but they just see themselves. That's all they, their world revolves around themselves and what they don't have. But you know what? Instead of a victim's mentality, instead of looking at ourselves, we need to see it. God's higher purpose. God has a higher purpose. I may be going through a valley right now, but there's a reason for it. And God is going to get me through this valley. What else did Jason, Jacob do? He said uh, he, he lost something. He lost his son. And now he thought he'd lost Simeon. And now he was thinking, I'm going to lose Benjamin. All right, it's lose, lose, lose. You know what? <laughs> As a victim, we got to get out of that and see, I'm not losing, losing, losing. I'm winning, and I'm winning, I'm winning. I'm going from one mountaintop to another, not from one valley to another. I'm going from glory to glory. That's what the Bible says. I'm going from glory to glory. So seeing that it's not that I'm losing all of these things, but I'm still looking at the things that I have, the things that God has blessed me with, his promises to me. He's got promises. It says we can we can participate in God's divine nature through his promises. Praise God. What else did Jacob do? Um, he's always thinking things were against him. Look at this. Everything is against me, he said. And people that are victims are always, everything's against me. Everything's, you know, things are, people are against me. People are saying bad things about me. You know what? We'll always be fighting some kind of headwind in our life. We always will. But Jesus and I will prevail against those. You see, that's the difference between a victim's mentality and a victor's mentality. I'm not ignoring that there's bad stuff in my life. I'm not pretending like it's not there. It's there. I mean, Abraham in, in, in Romans 4, he, he acknowledged that his body was as good as dead. In other words, he couldn't have children. He acknowledged it. I'm not saying, if, if the doctor says you have cancer, you don't just say, no, I don't. Well, yeah, you got cancer. But Jesus and I are going to prevail against this. You don't deny that your child isn't serving the Lord. You acknowledge it, but Jesus and I, Jesus is going to see this through. Amen. All right. So and then the last thing is he complained. You know what you can do instead of complaining? You can praise God and thank God. Praise God and thank God. 
and get through instead of complaining, praise God and thank God. My dad, he, he read this scripture almost months ago now, and it has, it's just changed my life. Philippians 2, 14 and 15, I've quoted it several times, and I'm quoting it yet again here, reading it yet again. Uh, do everything without grumbling, that's complaining, and arguing. Do everything without complaining, without arguing, so that you may be blameless and pure. God really doesn't like complaining spirits. He doesn't like us to complain. But it says, instead of grumbling and complaining, uh, be blameless and pure children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Then you will be shining among them like stars in the sky. Jesus wants you to be fishers of men. You can't be a fisherman. Shine for Jesus unless you stop your complaining. If you want to be a fisher of men, start praising and thanking God. Eliminate grumbling and arguing from your lifestyle, and you're going to shine for Jesus. You're going to be attractive to those around you. So finally, Ruth 1, you can turn to it now. Let's look at two women here in the Bible. One allowed themselves to be a victim. And the other one refused to be a victim. And you're going to see both of them had very bad circumstances, but they both perceived life differently. And we're going to look at this briefly, and then we'll pick up from here next Sunday. But Ruth 1, let me read it to you. In the days when the judges ruled, all right, let's stop and think about the, you always have to think, when did this happen in the Bible? In the days when the judges ruled, well, the children of Israel came from Egypt. They were in the desert for 40 years. Then they came into the promised land. Joshua was their first judge. Then there were several judges, and then they got to where they had kings. So we're in the time after Joshua and before the time of the kings. So in the days when their judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. The famine. So picture this. Have you ever had a famine? Have we ever, ever had a famine in the U.S. during our lifetime? Uh, maybe, but nothing as dramatic as what seemed to have happened. Nothing as dramatic as what happens even now in Somalia, where in 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 uh, north north eastern Africa, where there's just a consistent famine, hundreds of thousands of people dying due to starvation. This is a famine, something we've never actually experienced before. But it says there was a famine in the land, so a man from Bethlehem. Now, what happened in Bethlehem? Any, any memories of Bethlehem? Right. That's where Jesus was born, right? Uh, in, in Bethlehem, in, Ju- in Judah, together with his wife and two sons, went to live for a while in the country of Moab. Now, I don't know if you can picture a map of Israel. There's Israel. There's a Mediterranean. I should probably turn it around this way. Here's the Mediterranean. His, here's Israel. Here's the Dead Sea. And right on the other side of the Dead Sea is Moab, where modern-day Jordan is just right across the Dead Sea. So they moved, they probably crossed the Jordan above the Dead Sea and went down into Moab to live there because there was a famine. The man's name was um, Elimelech. Elimelech. I always have trouble with these names in the Bible. His wife's name was Naomi, and the names of his two sons were Mahalon and Kilian. They were uh, Ephrathites from Bethlehem, Judah, and they went to Moab and lived there. So they, they made a trek. What if you were to pick up today and move to Mexico, right? It's kind of the same thing. They, they picked out of their country and moved to a different country. Not, not a, it's not an easy thing to do. <laughs> you know, as an alien, uh, a, f- a foreigner, it's not easy to live in a different country, but that's what they did. Now, uh, Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died. So here she is in a foreign country. Picture yourself in Mexico with your family and your spouse dies. Bad news, right? This this is not easy stuff. She was left there with her two sons. They married Moabite women. All right. So what if you went to Mexico, your husband dies, now your two kids marry locals. Not saying it's bad, not saying it's good, but just you got to get a feel and a picture for what this is like. Uh, let's see, they married Moabite women. One was named Orpa, and the other name, the other's name was Ruth. And they lived there about 10 years. Okay, so they, they settled down. They put roots down. Both uh, Mahalan and Killian died. The two sons of Naomi died, 
And so here she has two daughter-in-laws who are husbandless. What do you think would be worse, by the way, to lose your spouse in an elder, at an elderly age or to have been married five years and then lose your spouse? I think everybody would, might react differently, but I would tell you I would, I would die, I would, not literally, but I would be very sad if I would have lost my wife after being married for five years. That would have been a huge, huge tragedy to me. I would far rather spend my life and lose my spouse at an elderly age. So in my mind, Naomi had a better life than Ruth did. Ruth had a very tragic life. She lost her spouse soon after they got married. What a tragedy, all right? So after they lived there for about 10 years, both of these men died. Naomi was left with her two two daughter-in-laws. When Naomi heard in Moab that the Lord had come to the aid of his people by providing food to them. In other words, a famine had lifted. She and her daughter-in-laws, daughters-in-law, prepared to return home from there. With her two daughters-in-law, they left the place where they had been living and set out on the road that would lead them back to the land of Judah. Several days, but not super long journey. It was a, it was a several day journey, but it, again, it wasn't months or any even weeks. It was fairly short. Then Naomi said to her daughters-in-law, Go back, each of you, to your mother's home. May the Lord show you kindness as you have shown kindness to your dead husbands and to me. May the Lord grant that each of you will find rest in the home of another husband. Then they kissed, uh, she kissed them goodbye, and they wept aloud and said to her, we will, go back, um, we will go back with you to your people. Now, was it wrong for them to, to, to cry and to be sad and weep, weep aloud? No. Is that a victim's mentality for you to have emotions? No. Absolutely nothing wrong here at all, whatsoever. We need to express our emotions, and things affect us sometimes. And we need to be able to process those things in our minds and deal with them. That's that's very normal. Verse 11, but Naomi said, return home, my daughters. Why would you come with me? Am I going to have any more sons who could become your husbands? Return home, my daughters. I, I too, am old. Um, I'm too old to have another husband. And even if I were, to, if there was still hope for me, even if I had a husband tonight and gave birth to sons, would would you wait for them to grow up? Well, that's silly. Of course they wouldn't, right? Would you remain unmarried for them? No, my daughters. It is now. Listen to this. It is more bitter for me than for you, because the Lord's hand is turned against me. All right. So now we catch a glimpse of Naomi. What's going on inside of Naomi? And the suffering inside that's going on that she's allowed to take hold of her life. Now, let, let me give you this entrepreneurial statement. I actually heard it on Shark Tank. All right. How many of you watch Shark Tank? Anybody love Shark Tank? It's awesome. But one of those people there, one of those sharks, um, said something I'll never forget. He said, um, it's not where you start out. It's where you end up. There's a lot of wisdom in that statement. It's not where you start out. It's where you end up. All right. Naomi says here, listen to this. This is crazy. It's more bitter for me than for you. Now, how would Naomi know if it's more bitter for me than for you? That's so dangerous for us to take our hurts, our life and say, my life has been worse than yours. You don't know what I've gone through. Well, guess what? You don't know what I went through either. <laughs> All right? And maybe you're right. Maybe you've gone through a lot worse things that I have. But you know what? I've gone through some things as well. So sitting here and doing a comparison, all is it all it does is lead to excuses. Because if your life was worse than mine, then you could use that as an excuse to stay there the rest of your life. And God doesn't want you to do that. Don't eliminate that victim's mentality, that comparativeness, and say, you know what, it's not where we started off. I may have started off at a worse place, but you know what, it's where I end up. It's I end, I want to end up in the best place possible. And you know what, with God's help, I can accelerate and get there so quick. It's a flash of an eye, I could be there. Blink of an eye, I could be there. Well, I could tell you a story of someone, but time is, well, let me just tell you just really quick. There was this guy named Ebok. His name, actually his first name was Ebok and his last name was Ebok. 
and he was from Nigeria. He was an, uh, a man. He was older than I was. In fact, he had six children, a wife. He was from Nigeria. And I've never in my life met someone who suffered as much as this man. Never. I mean, he suffered and suffered and suffered and suffered. First of all, he had a kidney disease that he'd had growing up. and uh, But he was a very stately person. And he had that wonderful Nigerian accent, very polite, very, I don't know, just very stately. I really, really liked the guy. And he had, uh, he was entrepreneurial as well. He thought of starting businesses. He wanted to go back to Nigeria and build a hospital for sick kids. He, he had more ideas than you could shake a stick at. But he had this, this kidney disease. And this kidney disease was getting worse and worse to the extent that he had to have dialysis. Dialysis is this, I don't know, to me, Kidney failure is worse than heart failure. <laughs> you know, it just debilitates you and and uh, handicaps you like probably nothing else. So he had started having dialysis. Well, the dialysis messed with his blood pressure, and his blood pressure ended up giving him a stroke, and the stroke completely paralyzed him. And so I would go to see, I'd call him Brother Ebok. He was a Christian man. I'd go to see Brother Ebok in the, in the hospital, laid out there, um, I have this distinct memory of, of his, it just breaks my heart, his 14-year-old son just stretched out on the hospital bed beside him, just crying. Really, really, really sad. Really sad. But Brother Ebok would always tell me, the Lord is good. <laughs> the Lord is half his mouth wouldn't work, but he'd always, the Lord is good. God is good. And um, he just, he was an inspiration to me. Well, you think that's bad? It didn't stop there, all right? This guy, his wife had to take on the breadwinning, all right? She had two jobs where she literally worked 20 hours a day. She'd work during the day, and then at night, she'd pick up the second job, and I can't remember what her name was, but I was like, how do you do it? <laughs> I mean, there's like no end in sight. This wasn't going to be just like a three-month gig type of thing. No, she was going to be doing this forever, um, and so, uh, it, it really, it, it messed with her. I mean, she it was a struggle, you know, and, and she got to the place where it was too much for her. And so she asked for a divorce. And so here's poor brother Ebok, you know, his wife asked for a divorce. Um, things just got worse and worse. I mean, financially they were struggling. And finally, finally brother Ebok passed away. But I always use him as the baseline of suffering. <laughs> and you need to do the same thing. Find somebody who's gone through a lot and say, am I as bad off as that person? <laughs> if they can do it, I can do it. All right? But never come up to somebody and say, you don't know what I've gone through. Because all of that will do, that'll just turn into excuse to keep you as a victim the rest of your life. Ecclesiastes, well, before Ecclesiastes, verse 14 of Ruth 1 first. Here again, these women wept aloud again. Still nothing wrong with weeping aloud. Now, the bitterness that, uh, that Naomi said, she said, the Lord's hand is against me. That is clearly a victim's mentality. She was saying, I'm a victim of God. Well, you're never a victim of God. <laughs> Not if you're a Christian. There's no way of, of being victimized by God. That's ludicrous. God is good. God wants good things for your life. But they wept aloud again. Again, nothing wrong. That's why in Ecclesiastes 3, I think it's verse 4, there's a time for weeping. There's a time for laughing. There's a time for mourning. There's a time to dance. It's okay, but God doesn't want you to be mourning the rest of your life. He doesn't want you to be suffering inside the rest of your life. Hang with me. We're... Uh, Getting close here. All right, let's read on. Verse 15 of, of Ruth 1. Look, Naomi said, your sister-in-law is going back. Oh, Orpah, the, the, the one sister-in-law was headed back home. She's going back to her people and to her gods. Go back with her. But Ruth replied, don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. Where, I, where you go, I will go. Where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people. Your God will be my God. So let's, let's just stop and think about it. Ruth has been through the ringer. She's got a pretty hopeless situation herself. And look at her attitude versus Naomi. There's no blaming. Instead of saying, instead of saying God's hand is against me, she says, I want your God. <laughs> I like your God. I, I like what I see with your God. 
But look at this non-victim mentality. First of all, she made up her mind. And victims, to get out of victimization, they need to make up their minds. you got to make up your mind. I'm not going to do this anymore. I'm throwing off the law of sin and death. I'm bucking the system, and I'm moving forward. I'm determined. I've made up my mind. They persevere. Ruth, she had made up her mind, therefore she was going to persevere. And she also took on a new identity. She said, your people are going to be my people. I'm going to stop being the old Ruth, and I'm going to start being a new Ruth. And you can make that decision today. You can say, I'm going to start being the new creation that God has called me to be. And then you just make Jesus your Lord, your God, your Savior. You say, you know what? I'm going onward and upward with God. She goes on in verse 17, says, where you die, I will die. There I will be buried. (laughs) That's some determination right there. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if even death separates you and me. When Naomi realized that Ruth was determined to go with her, she stopped urging. She was determined. And that's what a non-victim does. They just make up their minds, say, I'm not, I'm done with this. When Naomi realized that Ruth was determined to go, she, uh, she stopped urging her. So the two women went on until they came to Bethlehem. And when they arrived in Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the women explained, can this be Naomi? Don't call me Naomi, verse 20. She told them, call me Mara. That means bitter. (laughs) Call me bitter because the Almighty has made my life very bitter. Have you ever blamed God this way before? God has made my life bitter. I went away full, and the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi? The Lord has afflicted me. The Almighty has brought misfortune upon me. A victim's mentality. And there's Christian people. They come to church. I don't know if they read their Bible. (laughs) But they come to church, and they come with this mentality. Don't let yourself take on this mentality. Don't ever, ever, never, ever do that. You walk above your problems, not underneath your problems. So Naomi returned from Moab, accompanied by Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law, arriving in Bethlehem as the barley harvest was beginning. Let me tell you what. In your darkest hour, you're arriving on your brightest time. Man, you might have been pushed down in the mud, stuck in a pit, and a new day is coming for you. Your tomorrow is better than today and definitely better than yesterday. Chin up, head up, just as Abraham. Lot had just taken the best of the land, and what did God tell him? Look up, Abraham. Look up. Stop looking down at what you missed out on. Don't have FOMO. You know what FOMO is? Fear of missing out. Don't have any FOMO. Look up because better days are ahead of you. Blessings are coming your way. The harvest was just beginning. So let's just summarize real quick as we end up here and get prep prepared for the good news for next week. But, you know, victims complain a lot. Look at Naomi, complain, 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 complain. If you live with a complainer or you have a complaining friend, that's one of the toughest places to be. You want to put earplugs and tell them, shut up. I'm tired of hearing complaining all of the time was listening to this motivational speaker, not because I wanted to at work. They paid this motivational speaker to come speak to us this week online. His name is John Gordon, and I encourage all of you to listen to John Gordon. He's obviously a Christian. <laughs> he couldn't help himself. And so I, I, work, I have a secular job, so he couldn't say a whole lot about God, but he, he was definitely a Christian guy. But here's something he said that I heard this week. Rise and shine, don't rise and whine. <laughs> and I think it's Thursday or Friday, you're going to get a text, all right? If you're getting the daily text from me, you're going to get a text that says, rise and shine, don't rise and whine, all right? Get up, and don't be the first thing complaining. First thing be, should be praising. First thing should be thanking God. First thing should be saying, this is going to be a good day. This is the day that the Lord has made. I'm going to rejoice, and I'm going to be glad in this day. This is going to be the best day I've ever had. Amen. Your perspective changes a lot of things, the way things that come out, you know, how things end up for you. But here's another thing that our dear friend Naomi did. She was a victim and she blamed God. Blame God. Don't blame God. That's dangerous. (laughs) You can yell a little bit. I wouldn't yell at God, but I'd yell so he can hear you. I've done it before. 
I've screamed, ranted, and raved by myself, then looked over at the stoplight and somebody's watching me thinking I was a crazy man. If you yell, go ahead and let it out, vent, but don't blame God. Don't blame God, man. I'll tell you what. Um, bad things had happened to Naomi. They're acknowledged. Both sons, both hus- husband. That's bad. That's terrible. She had a bad, that was bad things happened, but you can't let bad things turn you into a victim. That's up to you. You decide to be a victim or you decide to be an overcomer. That's up to you. And being a victim is more than just an attitude. Naomi took on an identity. She said, I'm changing my name. I'm not Naomi anymore. I'm bitter. How would you like to be called bitter? Hey, you get your driver's license. It says bitter Norman. All right. I'm not changing my name to be a victim. I'm not going to change my identity. No, I'm a son of God. I'm more than an overcomer. You are too. And it's up to you to embrace your identity that Jesus is trying to give you here. You're an overcomer. You're a child of God. You're a winner. You're not a loser. Praise God. Uh, what else? What else did she say? She's she's changing her identity. Here, let me tell you something else. <laughs> this is funny, actually. Don't worry. We're almost done. Just minutes away here. Um, I, I, I get this from people. I'm disabled. Who told you you're disabled? Oh, the government. I, I got disability. That doesn't mean you're disabled. <laughs> God makes you able. Jesus makes you able. And now, if you're, if you're handicapped and you can get some Social Security, definitely get it. But don't identify yourself as a disabled, handicapped person. God has made you able. You can do all things through Christ who gives you strength. Amen. I'll never forget. This is hysterical. It's actually a tragedy. But I was standing, I can't even remember where I was, on some street, some sidewalk, and there was this man standing there, looked kind of lost. He looked like he wanted to talk. And he had a lanyard around his shirt, you know, around his neck with a big old important looking kind of badge look like thing. And so I, you know, kind of looked at him. Hey, how's it going, man? And he obviously wanted to talk, so I talked to him. I said, hey, how's it going? What, what are you up to? He says, oh, my name is such and such. He says, I'm a, I'm a Katrina victim. Well, this was like eight years after Katrina, the hurricane that you know, decimated Mississippi and Louisiana and other parts of the, of the Gulf Coast. He said, I said, what? <laughs> Say it again? He pulls up his badge and flashes it. Eight years later, I'm a Katrina victim. And uh, he'd been shipped from Louisiana to, to here. and was just standing on a street corner. <laughs> you know what? Get over the past things that have happened to you and move forward. Lose that identity. Get rid of it. You're not a victim. You're a victor. Take on the identity that God has given you. And use your God-given abilities, your gifts, your talents to do something. Earn a living, all right? Do be a minister of the gospel to people, serve people, but use what you have to bless others. I could I could give you some other thoughts, but we'll wait until next week. A couple of last things here. A victim is self-focused. All all about me, what my failings or what somebody did to me or blah blah blah. Stop it already. Stop thinking about yourself. Take, turn your focus first onto Jesus, and then he will turn your focus onto others. And there's nothing more fulfilling, more wonderful than serving others through your giftings. God has gifted you to help other people, and that's the purpose of life. First, loving the Lord your God with all your heart, but then just loving people, showing love through your giftings and sometimes through your weaknesses as well. But man, there's nothing more fulfilling than serving people, doing what you were meant to do, what you were created, your unique approach to things. And then lastly, victims never forget. (laughs) They're just going on and on, that same thing over and over and over. And because they can't forget, they don't forgive. And that's what Naomi did. She didn't forget and she didn't forgive God. Fortunately, I think we see Naomi's life kind of turn around after she sees Ruth's life and and the example that her daughter-in-law gave her. But let's end with this, Job 
chapter 1, verse 22, I think I've mentioned this a time or two already, but this one has captured me, man. Job says, in all of this, did not sin by charging God with wrongdoing. Man, I love that scripture, and it's it's inspired me because our tendency is always to blame God. You look at an insurance policy, acts of God. What are they? Bad things, hurricanes, earthquakes, an act of God. You know what? What about the healing act of God? What about the saving act of God? What about the delivering act of God? Those are the acts of God, the creative act of God. Praise God. Let's bow our heads. Lord Jesus, we thank you, God. Lord God, uh, we're here for you. Jesus, you created us for yourself. The Bible says everything in the earth is yours, including us. We belong to you, Jesus. We belong to your purpose or for your purpose. Uh, We belong to you, Lord, for your delight, for your pleasure. The the Bible speaks of the joy of the Lord. God, when we make you joyful, your joy spills over into us, and we're joyful. Lord, to be happy, we need to make God happy. (laughs) That's the reality. Lord, help us to serve you. Help us to get out of this muck and this mire of, uh, Lord, a victim of a victim's mentality of believing that the world is against us, that God is against us, that people are against us. No, no, no. Lord, help us to get a higher, a loftier mentality perspective. Lord, seeing your purposes flowing through our lives, throwing, flowing through the timeline of our lives. Thank you, Jesus, that you carry us, that you hold us, that you that you encourage us, that you strengthen us, you empower us, Lord God. So deliver us, Lord, every listener. Lord, everybody who's listening now or might listen in the future, deliver us from a victim's mentality, I pray. and Give us a victor's mentality, a winning, overcoming mentality. In your name I pray, Lord Jesus. Amen.